Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Good morning, all, or afternoon, or evening, or middle of the night. I'm an extreme lark, but if you're the opposite and are listening to this in the middle of the night, I'm cool with that. <laughs> Today, we have two more of the Homeric hymns, uh, the two devoted to Hermes. Fun note. When I did a Google search to see if there was anything that I might want to reference for this episode, the top hit was naturally an ad for Hermes. No, Google. Same spelling, different pronunciation. And you really think I can afford Hermes? (laughs) Not without some help from Hermes. He's the god of thieves, in case you've forgotten. And we'll see that definitely in what we're talking about today. Anyway. There are two hymns to Hermes, number four and number 18. And as with the past few myth episodes, I'm going to start with 18 first because it's shorter. Um, And I'm still using Susan Shelmerdine's translation and her excellent notes and introductions. Hymn 18 is about 12 lines long. It's undated and uncredited. And what's interesting is that the first half is nearly identical to hymn four. Shelmerdine notes that it may be an abstract for the longer hymn, and now I have this image of how current academic journals are typically formatted, only it's the Homeric hymns, and hymn 18 is in a box above hymn 4 so that readers can decide if hymn 4 is relevant to their study. And if you don't have a subscription, all that you can read is hymn 18, so if you really want to read hymn 4, you'll have to purchase a copy. You wish you were in my brain, don't you? Anyway. Hymn 18 starts with a typical introductory invocation of the god to whom the poem is dedicated. Hermes, son of Zeus and Maya, who is the daughter of Atlas. Maya, who hid in a cave so that Hera wouldn't see her with Zeus, or the fact that she'd given birth to Hermes. And then the poet says farewell to Hermes because they're off to sing another song. So we get a little background of the god. We know whose parents are. We're reminded of who his maternal grandfather is. And we know that he was born in a cave, and somehow that has allowed him to escape Hera's notice. Not bad for a mere 12 lines. Hymn 4, on the other hand, is the longest of the 34 poems in this collection. It's probably the youngest of the five long poems. Linguistics place it in time near the end of the 6th century BCE and in location somewhere around Boeotia. Maybe? It's a best guess. And this is also one of the most delightful of the Homeric hymns. Yes, I know, I frequently reference George O'Connor's Olympians graphic novels, but I really like how he handles the story, or stories, told in Hymn 4. Hermes is my favorite of that series so far. There's still one to be published. Once Dionysus is released, I may change my mind. Hymn 4 makes reference to a few things from when Hermes is an adult, um, but it is primarily about his childhood. And since it is, as I've already noted, long, let's take a break before going through what it says and what it tells us. Just as hymn 18 starts, hymn 4 starts by invoking the muse and Hermes, son of Zeus and Maya, who lived in a cave so that Hera wouldn't see. The poet is then kind enough to give a kind of table of contents of everything Hermes is about to do, most of which he will do as a newborn. And I do mean newborn. After giving birth, Maya goes to sleep, because childbirth can be pretty exhausting. 
Plus, as far as she knows, the baby is asleep too. He's not. And he's bored. So he leaps up and decides to go find Apollo's cattle. Along the way, he sees a tortoise. He gets really excited. Squirrel! Or, you know, tortoise! He thinks she's really pretty. And he thinks she can make really pretty music. So he picks her up and takes her home. And then he, well, he kills her so that he can turn her shell into a brand new musical instrument, the lyre. In addition to the tortoise shell, he uses reeds and an ox hide and sheep gut. And we see how culture, in this case in the form of music, is advanced at the expense of nature. Hermes tries out his new instrument, first with the little freeform jazz, and then by singing a hymn to himself. Cheeky. Maya is still asleep, by the way. Hermes tucks his new lyre into his cradle and then decides that he's hungry. But not for milk. No, he wants meat. And he remembers that he'd wanted Apollo's cattle. This time he doesn't get distracted on the way. He separates 50 from the herd and then shows why he is the trickster god. He reverses the cow's hooves so that it looks like they are walking backwards. And then he makes himself some sandals. Um, sandals. Wow. Who would have thought to weave tamarisk and myrtle shoots to make shoes? Hermes. That's who. Yes, he has now invented sandals just like he invented the lyre. But he doesn't invent them because he has tender little baby feet. No, he invents them so that he can obscure his tracks. Now, as Hermes is driving the cattle, someone sees him, an old man working on his vineyard. This is the only mortal in the entire hymn. Hermes sees that the old man sees him. He tells the old man that he will have a good harvest, but only if he is blind to what he has seen and deaf to what he has heard. And then Hermes continues on his way. This is an interlude that becomes important in other tellings of the story, but in him 4, it's just another thing that happens on Hermes' adventures during his first day of life. The moon rises and reaches her pinnacle as Hermes and the cattle reach the Alpheus River, which is the largest river in the Peloponnesus, for people who don't know the geography. Using a hollowed-out pomegranate and a laurel branch, he creates fire and builds a barbecue pit. And when I say creates, I really mean, of course, invents. <laughs> this would be the invention of fire. So he's now invented the lyre, sandals, and fire. And it's another example of how culture is advanced at the expense of nature. Hermes then sacrifices two of the cows that he stole before, well, barbecuing them. And you thinking for a sacrifice? <laughs> yep, he's inventing that too. It gets better. He divides the sacrifice into 12 portions, one for each of the Olympian gods. Except until Hermes is born, there are only 11 Olympian gods. So yes, he sacrifices to himself too. Now, he doesn't eat any of the meat that he's just cooked, even though it smells really good, because it's not godly food. Gods eat ambrosia, not barbecue. But he still shows off his theft, because if a baby god steals an older god's cattle and no one sees, does the baby god get glorified for it? No, the answer is no. He then builds up the fire into a pyre to burn the remnants of his sacrifice. And then he also throws his sandals in the river before quenching the fire and burying the embers. He may be only a day old, but Hermes knows some proper camping etiquette. Then Hermes walks home and sneaks back inside. 
the dogs don't bark because they know who he is, so he is able to quietly climb back into his cradle and wrap himself up in his swaddling clothes and snuggle up with the lyre he made from the tortoise shell at the beginning of the day. And it is at this point that Maya finally notices that he's been gone. Young man, where have you been and why are you sneaking out at this hour? Honestly, it's hard to tell how angry she is versus how amused she is. I mean, sometimes it's really hard not to laugh at the things your kids do. Anyway, Maya rightly assesses her son's attributes. He's sneaky, he's fast, and he's a thief. And just wait until your father gets home. Hermes makes puppy eyes and says, I love you, Mommy. How could you say such things? I'm just a baby. But he also goes on to tell her that he has to leave this cave in order to receive glory on Olympus, and he is going to be an Olympian, just like Apollo. Apollo does that prophecy thing, right? Yeah, that too. I'm going to be just like my big brother. It's not really a cave, by the way. Or... You know, it is, but it's a god's cave, so it's totally decked out. It has multiple rooms. It's really more of a palace underground. So his living conditions are fine, but he is right that it's not Olympus. But back to the story. Hermes shares his plan to rob Apollo's temple at Delphi. Meanwhile, Apollo has risen with the sun because you know, sun god, and he sees the old man working on his vineyard, and Apollo says, I'm looking for my cattle. Have you seen them? The old man responds, it's really weird. I thought it was a dream, but maybe it really happened. I thought I saw a baby wearing these big sandals, driving some cattle, but they were walking backwards. It was freaky. So I figured it was just a dream, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Apollo probably cursed at this before hurrying on until he reached the place where Hermes sacrificed the two cows. And then Apollo runs to Maya's cave and bursts in. Hermes knows the jig is up and immediately goes into full-on baby mode. Apollo doesn't buy it. Show me where you put my cows, Apollo shouts. Goo-goo-ga-ga, answers Hermes. I'm just a baby. All I'm concerned with is sleep and milk and being all snug and warm in my blankets. I swear I didn't take your cows. I don't even know what cows are because I'm a baby. I mean, I've heard of cows, but I've never seen one because, you know, the whole baby thing. Apollo laughs. He knows better than to believe this and declares that Hermes will forever be the patron of thieves. At his wit's end, Apollo picks Hermes up and tries to force him to lead him to the cattle. Hermes counters that the only way to resolve this is for there to be a trial before Zeus to prove his innocence because he didn't steal the cows and he didn't see who did it because he doesn't even know what cows are. Like I said, cheeky. Unfortunately, there is a break in the text at this point, so we can only imagine how Apollo finally gets Hermes to go before Zeus. The half-brothers do go up to Olympus. Zeus chides Apollo, who then explains everything that Hermes has done. Hermes counters that he will tell the truth because he's just a baby and he doesn't even know how to lie. I mean, he was only born yesterday. Literally. But it is clear to Zeus that Hermes is lying. And Zeus thinks this is hilarious. He laughs. And Apollo is pissed because dad isn't taking seriously how annoying little brother is. Hermes knows that music can tame a savage beast, so he sings a theogony while playing on his lyre. So, you know, he sings about himself. Hermes does not lack for ego. 
and it works. I mean, Apollo is god of music and all, but this is some new jazz that Apollo had never heard before, and he loves it. And Hermes, therefore, gives Apollo the lyre. Hermes also then takes some reeds and makes panpipes, and in exchange for the new musical instruments and musical sound, Apollo gives Hermes his caduceus, his winged staff, and if you can't picture it, there's a picture of an ancient bronze statue of Hermes holding his caduceus on the blog. Um, content warning, though, he is naked. Back to the story. There is one disappointment for Hermes, though. Apollo tells him that it is not Zeus's will that the younger god have the gift of prophecy. That's for Apollo alone. Except for the bee maidens. Who are they? Probably some sort of nymph that use pebbles for prophecy, and they buzz around and speak the truth unless they run out of honey, in which case they tell lies. Which sounds about right for a god like Hermes. There's another break in the text, so we don't know exactly how Apollo's speech ends. We are told that Hermes will be the lord over lions and boars and dogs and sheep and herds, and he'll be the sole messenger to Hades. And now Apollo and Hermes are friends, and everyone gets along, and the poet says farewell in the typical fashion. And that is him for. And I think I hit on the key themes, so that's where we'll end. There are lots of fun things to talk about, so I have a list of whimsical discussion prompts over at the blog. Come share your thoughts. The link, as always, is in the show notes. On Monday, we will finish Sophocles with Oedipus at Colonus. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.